Morning, church. It's good to see everyone. Thank you. It's good to be seen here. So let me get myself situated. How is everyone doing? Um, I don't know about you. I was told that literally pretty much all winter feels like the last week in Wichita. That's what I was told. Um, I was like, I was like, well, I need all-wheel drive, and they go, no, 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 no. it's just like this all year round. So, um, I'm not sure if they told us the truth, but that was, that was, <laughs> that's all that we were told. No, um, actually, it was the people that won us over here in Wichita, not the weather. Um, well, we've been. It is so good to see everyone. We've got some, you know, foreign dignitaries coming in from Columbia, and uh, if you're visiting with us, we are the Wichita Church of Christ. And uh, we are a Bible-believing group, and we are striving desperately to be a Bible-obeying group. And we know that that's only done in community. Christianity is a team sport. We need one another. Um, But we also believe um, that not only do we do it as a group, that we come here on Sunday, this is a part of a much larger pie of our walk with God. And it's a beautiful part of it, um, but it's great to have fellowship. I don't know, sometimes it's like Wednesday or Thursday morning, and I'm like, Man, I, I need Ken's hug, man. Where, where have I been? Or I need Tony's warm, warm smile, warm embrace. He's got a stern, fatherly look. I feel like I probably did something wrong anytime Tony looks at me. I was like, did I, did I do something wrong again? He's like, no, nah, bro, you're great. I was like, okay, amen. Uh, but it, it's just good, and I love that we have family. And if you're visiting, we hope this will be a part of your family as well. And so we've been doing a series called Reflections. Uh, which has been very, actually, it's been really great. And so it's really been a look at a variety of people who have known and walked with Jesus personally. But it's making us ask the questions of what is it like to reflect on Jesus and then reflect him in our world. We looked, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. And then we, just a couple, well, the the week after, uh, Jason talked about Peter and about his walk. Tim was talking about James last week, which I just thought, man, it's just awesome. I feel like we're, we're among heroes. It's not just the book of Acts where we find heroes of faith. I think we find it in each other when we build our relationships well, I think. Um, but today, we're going to turn, we're going we're gonna to start looking today and, and, and next Sunday at a different character. So we're going to have a kind of a two-part look. And I want to ask as we start, imagine... Imagine you could have coffee with Jesus. I mean, just think about it. One, you're like, oh, Jesus would never drink coffee. Well, the exit is back there. You could, No, I, I think Jesus would not only drink coffee, he would enjoy it. I love coffee. We might come back to this later today. I love it. But someone's like, oh, so you love Starbucks. I'm like, no, 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 I like coffee. Um, I, I'm the guy that travels around the planet with my hand grinder, and, I, and I've got... Um, espresso and a poro. I, I, got, I got options. If you're like, Jeff, I'd like to know more about coffee and Jesus. Come talk to me. We'll hang out. It'd be great. I loved it on both accounts. But maybe you were thinking about, man, if you could have lunch with Jesus. If you could kind of get your few verses, like the book of Acts, and you could sit down, or maybe the Gospels, rather. If you could sit down, what question would you ask? If you could have a conversation and you could talk about anything. He's like, I'm, I'm here. Eric, man, let's talk. I, I, I don't have another appointment for 90 minutes. You're like, what would that look like for you? Wow. 
And would you step out of that appointment changed and transformed? Would you ever forget that conversation? Okay, let's, let's up the ante a little bit. If you've been around here in the Wichita for the last couple of years, we've had a little bit of relational dynamics, right? We've been working out family dynamics here. Imagine if it was Jesus leading the church for the last few years. Imagine you get Jesus as your preacher. You're like, praise God, finally, Jeff, thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs> Imagine if he was leading your small group, your little discipling group. Imagine if he was leading the church. How different would you think it would be for you? Would you step away? Would you feel different about the church today? Do you think you'd feel more healed? More grateful? I mean, because the thing of it is, when I, I think about this, I'm like, man, if I can have coffee with Jesus, I got questions, man. And some people are like, well, Jesus, what is the Nephilim, right? Maybe that was your question. You're like, dude, you get one question, that's your question, right? What about the dinosaurs? I mean, that's awesome. But if I got one question, the number one and truly only thing that will matter after your heart stops beating is did you make it to heaven? And did you take anyone with you? Nothing else will matter. And if I'm sitting down with Jesus, I, I, got, I got eternity to ask the Nephilim question, right? I, my curiosity question. I want, I want like the 4K full blown out creation. See, I want to see how it worked. How did it go down? There, I got questions. But if I don't make it to heaven, we don't get to the second question. You follow what I'm saying? And I think about this. And if Jesus was leading the Wichita church, which, mind you, he, he has been. The sovereignty of God doesn't go away when you get an attitude. Or when it doesn't go your way. But I think about this. If Jesus was leading the church the last three years, would your life be different? Would it change you? Would you ever forget what it would be like? Would it keep you from walking away from God? Or sinning the way you have? Secrets or not? The scary truth is that it might. And it might. It might fade in power if Jesus in full-blown glory miracles preaching talking to you uh, healing your family at a distance in person people raised from the dead could you imagine what would happen man Eric dies in some tragic I don't know like airplane mechanic accident Jesus raises him from the dead Melinda's happy they come to church and you're like oh my goodness Eric is risen from the dead and in six months, he's just another guy you don't hug in the fellowship. Because the miracles and the preaching and the presence of the Lord, it can fade over time. And the power fades and the transformation and the importance, it stops amazing you, it stops impacting you, and eventually it's replaced by bitterness and disappointment and discontentment. How do we know this? Turn with me to Matthew 26. Now, but if we want to reflect Jesus, we better understand 
that there is such thing as walking in the presence of Jesus and deciding not to reflect him. And what does that look like? In Matthew 26, after about three years of public ministry, Jesus has been walking around with his 12, his 12 guys, his apostles. And they show up in Matthew 26. We're really at the last few days of Jesus' life. We're about actually, we're right before he's going to be going to the Garden of Gethsemane and eventually to the cross. This is, this is game time. And he's got his 12 closest men together. Look at this. In, in Matthew 26, Jesus has, has had this woman that this, we're, we're going to unpack this next week, but has, has anointed Jesus' feet with, with, with oil, the perfumed oil. We'll get back to all that and stuff. That's a cool, that'll be a, a much longer cool Bible study. All this goes down. Everyone's looking at him. This is this amazing moment. He goes, she's anointing me for actually death. But you're like, skirt? Like if you're, you know, you're, all this, you're like, hold on, can we remind, can we talk more about that, Jesus? There's this conversation about, no, you should have sold the oil, you should have sold this perfume, given it to the poor, all this goes down. And then verse 14, look with me here. It says, then one of twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand over, if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. For the today and next Sunday, we're going, to take, we're going to be taking kind of a two-part look at Judas. I don't know if I've ever preached on Judas, certainly not a series. But I think he's the most, maybe the most tragic story in the Bible. A best friend, someone who walked with, had his feet washed, saw the miracles, he saw the resurrections, he saw both rulers and foreigners, dignitaries and people in dire poverty, men who were tormented by demons, and the demons themselves all submit to him. He's watching the Son of God leave the throne room of heaven, and in the wake of him, this transformed world, and after three years, still walks away and his soul and Jesus himself sold out for 30 silver coins. If this can happen to one of Jesus' 12, what do you think can happen to you and me? And so some of us think, oh, no, Jeff, I, I've read the Bible a few times. I, I listen to some sermons on YouTube. Oh, I, I talk a little bit. I, I call my brother from Columbia a few times a year, confess and get a little advice. Don't you worry. I'll make it to heaven with you. I go, I don't know if I would be so sure. Because we are in a battle, brothers and sisters. We are in a war for our souls and for our kids and our parents and our, and our neighbors and our colleagues. And this is as real as it gets. And this isn't like the reenactment of civil war battle where everyone gets up and goes to lunch when we're done. When the trumpets sound and it's game time and now it's judgment day, there will be no next chance. There will be no more moments. And so how you and me look and decide to reflect right now that is why, actually, we see in the book of Hebrews, why is the Old Testament still in front of us? It's because we learn about Jesus, not Jesus, and God himself, the personality and the, the power of God throughout Scripture. But it also serves as an example for us to learn. That's
That's why this this gift that you and me can go to half-price books and buy for like five bucks, people were killed for. They killed William Tyndale for trying to translate this thing into English. And you and me could just collect dust. These, these, These words, they can transform your life or they might not. And I think Judas gives us some really powerful lessons about being men and women who do reflect on Jesus and who do reflect him. Does that make sense, family? And I want to talk about a few points today, and then we'll come back next week and talk about a couple of more. I've had some unbelievable Bible study. It's brought Judas to life in the midst of all this. And I think if you're someone that's been standing in the middle of what seems to you as kind of some apostolic disciples, some some heroes of faith, and you're going, I'm the odd man, I'm the odd woman out. If people really knew me, man, you know, they'd throw me out. Man, I'm I'm afraid that the lightning will strike the building when I take communion. You know, if you're like, I'm a mess, I go, you are in great company. But we can learn how not to react and respond. We can learn to be men and women who make it to the end. Does that make sense, family? So I want to talk about three things. I might only get to the first two. And then we can go out to barbecue and talk about the other one. Uh, turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. Are we all together? Is all this making sense so far-ish? Okay. I've been preaching in Portuguese the last few years, and so if someone looks at me and they're like, Jeff, that wasn't fluent English, just tap me on the shoulder, throw something heavy at me. Uh, that'll be fine. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Man, there is so much as you study the Gospels. And if you think about this, and you, man, this thing I love about the Bible. I mean, you can, I've been reading the Bible for over 20 years. And I'm like, I don't think I'll ever need to get to the Old Testament. The New Testament alone is just, it's deep and rich. And of course, I read the Old Testament. And you're like, you sinner. I'm like, no, man, we're reading it all. But I just feel like it's just deep. And I've had guys go, no, 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 bro, I've, I've read it before. I got it. I'm like, this isn't Harry Potter, dude. I got the gist of the storyline. I'm like, man, you're not getting it. That's like, I went on a date with my wife two or three decades ago. I got the gist, bro. Yeah, and every man, woman, and child in the car is going, oh, Lord, have mercy on you. Because you don't get the nature of romance, relationship, and walking life together. That's what we're doing with God. At least that's what we want to do, right? Check out this in in Luke chapter 10. Where we're at is we might be maybe a year-ish into Jesus' ministry. And what's happened now is you've seen Jesus about to send out the 72. At this point, Jesus has sent out the 12 apostles. He calls them in Mark 3. He calls those that he wants. He spends all night praying. This is a huge decision. Spends all night praying, calls those he wanted, and 12 show up. And we know the 12 apostles. They're all over. And he spends roughly 75 to 80% of the Gospels is just spent with these 12 men. So much of the gospel is actually the walks in between the sermons on the mount or in between the feeding of the mirror, you know, these miracles or feeding of 5,000. Or he's, he's walking, he's spending this time. Jesus built ministry in small groups. So why would we ever do small groups? Because that's what Jesus did. And, it, and that's how we get close. That's how we get intimate. That's also how we transform the world. But it's how we transform one another too. Makes sense. And so what you see is that Jesus, he said that he calls them in Mark 3 so that one, that they would be with him, two, that he would teach them and send them out to preach, and the third thing, he would teach them to have power over demons, cast them out, do miracles, and they're doing all of that. 
They were just sent out for the first time, two by two. The 12 were sent out. And now we're coming back, and now this slightly larger ministry of 72 is being sent out. And check out what Jesus tells them as he's training and teaching them to go out and spread the gospel. Check this out. The first point here, if you need a point title, if you're taking notes, it's what's my relationship with the message? I think that's one of the many questions Judas makes us ask ourselves, is what's my relationship with the message? And check this out in Luke chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can we say amen to that? That might be more true now than ever before. That the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating or drinking, whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if miracles were performed in you that had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre. Tyre and Sidon at judgment day, then for you and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. What an incredible moment. How many of us just absolutely love cold, like bold, cold contact evangelism? How many of us just love it? Every town, every village. Hey, you, hey, come on over here. Let me talk to you about something awkward. You know, come here. I, have you, anybody, anybody still, after even years or decades, still get like the butterflies when you're going to go even be nice to someone at the grocery store? Am I the only one? Okay. I. I've been doing this 21 years. I'm like, Jeff, you're an evangelist. You moved to Brazil to do this. I know. But butterflies aren't my Lord. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I got something to say. And they talk to someone. It still can freak me out. And if you've been there a while, if it's been a while since you've talked with someone, you kind of feel awkward. We would say you kind of feel like you got a monkey on your back. You're like, how do I say this? And you walk up and you're like, uh, church, Jesus. And they're like, are you okay? Like, do you need medicine of some sort? Or, you know, I mean, we just... We don't know what to do. We feel awkward. Anybody else? Okay. We're just, we're all family here. We're just talking. 
And you can imagine Jesus is like, well, you know, I'm the son of man, and uh, I'm going to need you to go to everywhere, and I'm going I'm to follow up, and I'm going to see your work. Go ahead out without me, and we'll see how it goes. I, if you're me and I'm in this crowd, I'm like, oh, this is going to go poorly. <laughs> this is really going to go bad. And I remember being a brand new Christian. I didn't grow up super religious. I didn't grow up religious at all up in, the, in Seattle, Northwest. But I remember I, just, I became a disciple. And a couple of my big brothers in the faith were taking me out sharing my faith. I was at the University of Washington, about the most unchurched area outside of maybe like Europe, mainland Europe, really. And so, you, you know, maybe in Kansas, you, you, you could ask the question, hey, what church do you go to? And most people got an answer. Yeah. Up to Seattle, they're like, oh, I worship the trees. I, here, are you sick? I can rub a crystal on it. We just got all sorts of weird stuff up there. It's just weird, bro. It's weird. And, uh, and I remember... I was wrestling hard because I was like, the guys were like, we're going to go share our faith. We're going to go do Matthew 28. We're going to go for it and do like these guys in, Ma- in Luke 10. And I remember sitting down and I was like, Corbin was his name. Corbin Anderson, one of my older brothers in the faith. He's still up in the Pacific Northwest with his wife. Awesome brother. And we were out sharing. And I go, but Corbin, I suck at this. <laughs> and I don't mean kind of. I mean, it's going to go badly. And I wrestled with this thing of like, but what if I hurt their ability to come to Jesus because I'm that bad? And I was like, and I wrestled with this. I was like, dude, could you? And you're like, you can't be that bad. I'm like, Corbin, you're going to see, bro. Yeah, absolutely I am. And I wrestled with this. And it's because I didn't get what Jesus is trying to tell him here, which is this really isn't about you, bro. And what's wild to me is that Jesus, is, at this point, has sent out the 12. He sent out the 72. They're going out to preach two by two because if you go out by yourself, sometimes you'll chicken out. I remember being a campus student trying to go share my faith. I had a goal. I think I was going to go share with like 10 people. I was like, oh, yes, it's like my climbing Mount Everest of my faith. It was like no big deal. And I remember going into the bathroom, putting, you know, like the, you know, the, I, on the toilet, you know, yeah, like the toilet seat deal. And I covered it up, locked the stall, and just sat there because I just was scared. Anybody find themselves doing that? We're getting honest today. No one was forcing me and pressuring me. I just felt like I felt like my soul, my spirit was telling me. God was going, go talk to someone. And everything about my fear was like, no. And these guys are being sent out. Jesus is going down the list of cities and the responses. And you know what hit me? Is that some of these, some of these villages, their preacher was Judas. Chorazin, Bethsaida, getting preached at by Judas. Could you imagine the chatter in the, in the pulpits, you know, or, uh, you know in, the, in the pews that day? He's preaching about greed, about giving to the poor. You're preaching about getting open, Judas? You're talking about confession? You sure about about that? And what blows me away is that Jesus doesn't go down the list and go, Chorazin, you guys had Jesus. Don't worry, I'll understand at Judgment Day. That's not what he says. Because whether it's Judas or Jesus preaching to you, it's the message that is preached to you that matters. 
And what's your heart going to be for it? And I think some of us get stuck. Because you're like, well, Jeff, man, you know how long we had Jesus preaching here at my church? I don't know, and I don't care. Not because I don't care about you, but because don't, don't diminish the power of the gospel in the words of Jesus because some sinner was the one that shared them. And Jesus is going, no, 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 when they reject you, they're rejecting me. When they reject me, they're rejecting the Father. Stop making it about you. Whether you're the hero or you're the victim, don't do that. Because it's the power of God's word that can work through us. And that means, you're like, Jeff, I'm not hearing Judas. I am Judas today. What could God possibly do with me? He can transform cities with you. He can bring truth through you. He can bring freedom and healing through you. Well, Jeff, you don't understand what I've done. I don't know and I don't care. God can work through you and in you and he can touch people through the way you let God's word work in you. I look at Judas. I'm like, Judas is sent out to preach. He's not benched. He's sent out. God's sending all of us. You go, Jeff, I'm not ready. There is no NFL for, for, for disciples. There is no ready. There's just faithful and willing. And I look at this and I, I, I think, what, here's one of the things that scares me a little bit. Because maybe you're like me and you do this too. I can pray or at some part of me believe that when I stand before God at judgment day, that my lack of faithfulness and my lack of obedience, I can blame it on the guy who's preaching to me. Jeff, do you know who my big brother in the faith was? Do you know who discipled me? Do you know who didn't disciple me? Do you know the mistakes they made? Do you know the way they talked to me that one time? Do you know the things they didn't say? Do you know the weird things they were preaching for a while? Do you know, do you know that? Anybody wrestle with this? I mean, if we're honest, that we think we're going to stand before God and go, God, I've got, a, I've, got, I've got a permission slip. You know, I've got like the doctor's note. I got to get in here. I, I sprained my ankle. You're like, your ankle's not sprained. You just didn't want to go to PE. You didn't want to run. <laughs> At least be honest about it. You know what I'm saying? And I think I'm going to come before God sometimes and go, God, do you, do you know who was preaching to me? Do you know who shared their faith with me? Do you know who studied the Bible with me? And I think what Jesus says, but hold on, you're not rejecting Jeff. You're not rejecting Brandle. You're not rejecting Tim. You're not rejecting Ken or Rob or Tony. No, no, no. Don't confuse it. You're rejecting Jesus. And it's all of our responsibility to open this book and open our hearts to one another and walk together faithfully, not perfectly. Because even if you feel like, man, I am Judas, I'm a mess, or I'm Peter, do you know what I've sold Jesus out for? That God can still use you and he can still redeem you. And I don't know about you, that gives me a lot of hope. That's the only reason why my wife and I are here in Wichita. It's the only reason we're in the ministry. God can use anybody, even some short, weird dude from Seattle in the middle of the Midwest. He can even use, he can use all of us. Come on, bro. <laughs> We've got nice mustaches, though. We'll keep that going. Got to rock, you got to rock what you got, you know. Is Judas your excuse? Is some preacher your excuse? 
It's the bad treatment, the bad leadership, bad execution. Is, is that how you're trying to sign your permission slip? Let me appeal to you today. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't buy that lie. And that's exactly what it is. Don't buy that lie. That no one has the responsibility and ability to come back to the foot of the cross other than you for you. No one can drag you kicking and screaming. Jesus himself won't make you. But the door is wide open. And, and the thing is, this is not just open behind you to come back to Jesus whenever you want. It's also this eight-lane highway in front of us of miracles and men and women that are praying to hear what you've got to say. You think you're afraid? Do you remember what it was like when you, when you found out, I am not right with God. I die tonight. I go to hell. That fear. Some people are living in that. They live in the hopelessness. Or there's a dread, and they don't know why they feel hopeless, why they feel like, I, I don't have purpose. Guys, we've got something special. Even if you feel like you're Judas, God can use you. That's encouraging to me. Is that encouraging to you? Because you're like, praise God. God can use my husband. He can. Yes, that's right. But there's another challenging point that comes up. How long was Judas preaching the word? How many times did he preach about the coming of the Christ and proving the Messiah through the prophecies of the Old Testament? How many times was he preaching through the Psalms? Quoting Deuteronomy 6, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many times was he preaching about greed or giving or tithing or the, or the unrighteousness of the chief priest? How, how many times did it come out of his mouth? How many times did he see people respond and repent? How many demons were cast out? How, how many people fell on their face? How many centurions and Romans were like, I, God, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my home. Just say the word. I know how power works. I know how authority works. How many late nights where Pharisees like Nicodemus and John 3 came to Jesus in secret, how many secret conversions, how many public declarations, how many times was he preaching to others? And at what point did he stop preaching to himself? How many times did he read or hear the same scriptures? How many times did he hear the Sermon on the Mount? How many times did he hear these parables? I mean, I don't know about you. What scares me is that sometimes I think if the preacher was good enough, I would keep changing. And no preacher will ever be good enough. Because the perfect one came and everyone still didn't want to change. The message is perfect. Jesus, our Savior, is perfect. No preacher, even when there was a perfect preacher, it didn't always work. Because you know what? Perfect isn't always what we want to hear. Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's tough, it's tough to stomach what's being cooked for you, huh? My grandma, oh man, my grandma's funny. My mom's mom. So my mom is like 4'10". Uh, and she is the most fiery, crazy gal. My, my mom, as you guys have heard my story, she left because of drugs when I was really young. And we kind of reconciled our relationship at the end of high school. I think it was in my senior year. So we've, she's like grandma of the year now. It's like there's this new opportunity. She gets to be grandma the way that she always wanted to be mom when she was captive to sin and, you know, drugs. And now she's this amazing grandma. She's amazing. I'm going to go see her, actually. I'm going to leave tonight or this afternoon. 
and I'll go up and I'll see my dad and mom for a couple days and come on back. But she is a feisty gal. And as I got to know before she passed away, her mom, my grandma, I was like, oh, that's where you get it from. Because my grandma would cook. Do you guys remember those old, like, thin-ish cut pork chops? that did not have like an ounce of fat. And it was like, I, I, think, the, I think that's what, what Clark didn't use for the sole of their boots. That I'm pretty sure is, they could have used it. And my grandma would cook it to make sure that there was, there was no ounce of moisture in it. <laughs> Anybody have that? And then they're like, oh, you put applesauce on it. I'm like, that's not going to fix our problem. <laughs> and you know, I'd eat it and you're just like, <laughs> and you'd see the like, the shavings of the ceramic plate, because you're just, you know, I think one time we just broke one. You know, I mean, it's just terrible. Anybody wake up, you know, anybody grow up with those, those, okay, we're all together. It's like pork jerky, yeah. And I remember, and she, I was like, oh, Grandma, these, these pork chops are a little tough. It'd be tougher without them. And I was like, you know, like, oh, okay, fair point, you know. I just think, man, sometimes you just don't want to eat what's cooked, man. And it happens. We stop being grateful for the food at all. We start becoming connoisseurs of church. We're like, ooh, that sermon about Judas had hints of context and, ooh, deep exegetical and hermeneutical analysis. And we kind of begin, we kind of find ourselves being a little bit more like church critics. Instead of people that not only cook to be hospitable and we serve the gospel and we give the gospel out, we also eat and drink deeply ourselves. I want to ask you, how many times have you, how, when was the last time you can remember reading the Bible? I mean, having a time with you and God, 15, 20 minutes before you're going to work, after you've come home, it's by yourself and you read a verse and went, I have to repent. I am changing. I'm different. Hey, Shannon, can we talk? Bro, I need to tell you about what you don't know in my life. Hey, hey Lewis, can we talk? Man, I, I need to be honest. Not because Lewis is hey, bro, you haven't confessed your sin. Why, hey, hey, are you there yet? Are you coming to church? No, no one's got to beat down my door. That the word of God and the spirit of God, I want more of that in me. I want it working in my life. I open the Bible and you respond with, can you remember the last time that you opened the Bible, that you heard a communion, you heard something preached and went, I'm changing I don't mean kind of, I mean I am done with it. That repentance, that powerful transformation, this is what God's offering all of us. And I, I won't be, and I think we've all had moments where we had someone that's trying to twist our arm a little bit to do the right thing, confess our sins, come to church, whatever. We probably did a little too much army of God two decades ago. I think that's a fair point. We've been out of that mode much longer than we were in it. I think we can go ahead and let that ship sail, huh? I think we're falling off the other side of the cliff. Where we go, hey, I'm not asking, does someone make you confess? I'm asking, someone make you read your Bible? I, I, no, I, I don't. No, well, one, no one really can make you. And even if you'll accept the pressure and conform for a bit, you won't be transformed. But I mean, when's the last time you let the word of God transform you? Where you just read it and you went, oh my goodness, guys. 
I need to be hospitable. That's not just, hospitality is not just a series that we talked about at the beginning of the year and, oh, good point, bro, and then we leave and are unchanged. You're like, man, I got a conviction. That is what a conviction is. It is a belief from Scripture, from God himself, that changes your identity and changes your life. Do you remember the last one you built? And I don't say that out of shame. I say that out of some of us are we're walking along and we're walking with Jesus and it's okay, we're here. But when, man, when you turn the key, man, you're kind of going from, from dried out pork chops to full-blown brisket at Station 8, baby. You get upgraded. Because now it's not just something we're dragging along that there's a vibrance and a freedom and an excitement. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. There's a gift. And on this side of eternity, there is no greater gift than the freedom from fear, guilt, and shame nothing. And that's what we're talking about. How long was Judas in this ministry talking, walking with Jesus, hearing the truth, hearing the lessons? And he was living a total double life. Can you imagine how much guilt he was walking with? How much fear the thing is, though, you're like, oh, man, I wonder if someone's going to find me out. And Jesus, like, winks at him. You know what I mean? You're like, Jesus knew. He knew everything. The passing thought, he hears it. He's like, dude, don't do that. You know, you're like, what? Do what? What are you talking about, Jesus? What do you, what do you mean? I didn't say anything. He's like, oh, I know you didn't say anything. We got, we got three kids, seven, six, and four and a half. Our kids don't have great poker faces. <laughs> I look at my son, and he's got the look, and I'm like, son, don't go do that. He's like, what? Dad, I didn't do anything. I was like, oh, no, you didn't do anything yet. Yes. Yet. I got the look, right? God knows us. We're great kids. He's a great father. He's like, don't do that. I know that look. <laughs> he knows us. And that's both comforting and terrifying. Right, right. But how do we go from just being in the proximity of Jesus right. and his teachings and a great community to being men and women who reflect on him and reflect him we got to decide, what's your relationship with the message of Jesus going to be? Is the message and your acceptance of it, based on who's preaching to you and how well they do, how perfect they were, or how little or how much they've hurt you in the past? Is that the influence of the gospel in your life? Is, that, is the Bible going to influence you based on the, the, the power and the perfection of the person speaking to you or the one who wrote it? Man, we've got to be people of the word of God, that the message has got to be that from God, but we make it our own, friends. And that we don't need to be pressured. Now, now, what's the beautiful thing? How many of us played, grew, grew up playing sports? Okay, how many of us are a little competitive? How many of us are a lot of competitive? Okay, yeah, right? You're, you're like, I'm gonna win, I don't care. You're like, we're just playing checkers with our kids, honey. <laughs> You don't have to win every board game. You're like, they don't need to learn mercy. They need to learn humility. Yeah. And I think what can happen is sometimes is that we come to church and we go, man, I... It started maybe when we were young where we liked the excitement. We liked the engagement. We liked the campus ministry. We liked the fire. And then actually after 10 or 20 years, we go, yeah, I'm kind of over-discipling. I'm kind of over-confession. I've done that enough. I'm over-praying as a group. I'm over-singing. That's what the women, children, and musicians do. I'm a grown man. I don't sing. I'm over it. I'm over giving. I've given enough. 
I've given enough specials. I've given enough contribution. Because what happens is, is that the Bible in our hearts remain closed rather than being vibrant and explosive and personal and meaningful. And it brings a meaningful and a vibrance in our own life. And you see it in someone's eyes. Have you looked around and seen people who are just, there's a joy in them. You're like, man, what Bibles, you know, what books of the Bible have you been reading? Because there's a life and a vibrance and a joy that comes from this. Is that not true, church? Seems like a few of us believe that. Has it been a while since we felt that? I want to encourage you. Learn from Judas. Learn from him. Could you imagine if he was the one preaching today? What do you think Judas would say? You think being in hell, he would go, now follow me. It's greater on the other side this way. Oh, no. We know from many other passages, people get very evangelistic in hell. Sometimes it's the only place they are. And I think on the other side, I think Judas would tell you this. Don't just play around with the message. Just don't be a listener. Don't come and just let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't blame the preacher. Don't blame the Bible talk leader. Don't blame your past. Don't let anyone be able to have the responsibility of you owning, internalizing, becoming free. Because John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're going to know truth. And you will be set free. You. And that's such a great promise. And it's such it's such an encouragement. Does that make sense, friends? That encourages me. By the time we get to... My, my computer died. Unfaithful, heathen computer. They don't make computers like they used to. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, that's right. Judas betrayed me. That's right. Let's see if my phone will be the faithful servant. Oh, there we go. For backups, that's right. Humility, it works. I want to throw out kind of a, a, final, a, a second point here. That's the, kind of an extension of the first, but how many of us have ever come to church and felt like the preacher like was talking to you? You're like, actually, the last four weeks, did my, did my husband call you? No, he didn't. No. Did my roommate, did my boss call you? No, they don't have my number. I, I don't, yeah. No, it, I've, totally, I've totally felt that. Like, have you ever felt that so much where you, like, got genuinely kind of frustrated with, like, your significant other thinking? You were sure they probably called them. Anybody actually done that? I have, I have done that. Uh, where you're like, did you call him and tell him this? I'm like, no, I did not tell Mike that you got gruff with me this morning on the way to church. Of course I did it. Hey, bro, you include this in your sermon? Never. I've never done that. I've done other things, but I didn't do that. But did you know that Jesus talks about money more than any other topic? You think he was trying to throw Judas a bone? might have been trying to throw his friend a lifeline. Puts that into context a little more for me. I think it is true for humankind that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I think that is true. It's like one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Money is not the root of all evil. That's foolishness. Uh, but there is a truth about it. And turn with me over to here to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to leave with this point. 
Because imagine now, after some of what we're learning about Jesus and his walk and his heart and what it could have felt like, imagine sitting at one of these many lessons about money. But there's this one in Matthew chapter 6 that would have been towards the beginning of the ministry, this particular sermon, but it certainly wasn't the only time it was preached this way. And I think the second question I'd throw out is what's your relationship with money? Talk about what's your relationship with the message, but what's your relationship like with money? And you're like, Jeff, I don't have much of it. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. And you don't have to have a lot of money to be enslaved, but don't, don't. that's actually the warning for Paul to, to Timothy about warn people. It's actually about the love of money. That's actually the killer. But look at this in Matthew chapter 6. And I read this verse a little bit differently this morning, thinking that, man, sitting front row was Judas, man. Becoming one of Jesus, he was one of Jesus' apostles, one of his best friends, or at least presumably he was trying to be anyway. But it says in verse 19, do not store up for yourself on earth where rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or will he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's an interesting word here when you talk about despise. Some people think it means just hate, like deep hatred. That's not exactly what that word means. It's almost more of a situational hatred where you forget about something and you just despise it. Like when Isaac and Esau, when they're fighting over it, he despised his birthright, meaning like he kind of hated it in the moment. He's like, ah, I don't think it's that worthy to consider. You de- David despised the Lord and slept with Bathsheba. You're like, hold on. You look, he's the man after God's own heart. What do you mean? David didn't have this, this, this timeline, this long relationship of hating God. That's not how it was. What happened was in a moment, God just stopped being valuable enough to consider. Something else was worth more. He devoted, he gave himself to this woman and he despised his wife, he despised his family, he despised his covenant with God and he went for this other thing. Now, did he repent? Absolutely. Were there consequences from it? Of course there were. Does that make sense? So when we say the word despise, is sometimes we think, oh, what Jesus is saying is that you're going to despise, like you're going to deeply hate God if you love money. No, 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 that's not how it goes down. What we do is we trade idols. One looks like Jesus until I want the new iPhone and then I swap it. Does that make sense? We play, we play games with, with money and our relationship with money changes our relationship with Jesus and his message. Does that make sense? And if you think about this, Jesus says here that where your heart is, your money will be also, right? No. That's not what he says. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to play with the words. Jesus doesn't say where your heart already is, your money follows you. He says, no, no, no. Your heart isn't the horse, the money is. Where your money goes, your, your treasure, time and money, I think are probably our most valuable treasures. Where your treasure goes, there your heart will be. 
there's good news and bad news to that, right? Because you can actually chain where your treasure goes pretty quick. And it will guide your heart. Where am I invested? Show me, your, show me your bank account and show me your schedule. That's where I know your heart's at. Right? When we talk about how do you build a relationship, a romantic relationship. How did I build a relationship with Amanda? I spent some time and spent some money. And I say some because I was a campus student just trying, you know, got, got my part-time job, but amen, you know what I mean? And that's where we, we invest ourselves. And I think as I look at this passage, I want to encourage us, extending this point from the first one about your relationship with the message, how careful do you read God's word? How, how much respect and fear is there for the way God says it? Because if you remember Eve in the Garden of Eden, you see that conversation with her and Satan is like, well, did God really say you can't eat from this? She goes, and then her quote is that God said that you can't eat or even touch the tree. But is that what God said? No. Now, is, it, is that a wise boundary? Just don't touch it? Sure, fair enough. Uh, that's probably a good boundary. That wasn't the command of God, though. And what happens is we just don't read the Bible that carefully sometimes. I know I've done this, or when I quote something, I kind of quote, you know, randomly, oh, it's this way, right? You know, the, you know this thing. You know, like that, my favorite verse, God, who's, God helps those that help themselves. It's not the Bible. It's Aesop's fables, man. Like, that's not scripture. Or we, but it comes in with real passages where we begin to play with them a little bit. Where we go, see, yeah, yeah, where my heart is, there my, where my money will be. Go, no, that's, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. We'll do this with, with verses like in Mark 16, 16, where we go, that those who, are, those who repent and are saved will be baptized. That's not what he says. He says, those who are repent and baptized will be saved. Same exact words, we just flip the order. But I didn't write the sentence. I didn't write the Bible, and I don't have the right to change it. But my, but my reverence for God is reflected in the carefulness of how much I love it, how much I want it, and how much I want to understand what God is telling me. Does that make sense? And money is all over the scriptures. How is your relationship with money right now? Is there debt? We got, we, got, we got the credit cards running. I mean, the definition of greed is that because I can, I will. We slide a card, the debt grows. I don't need to be Dave Ramsey. You can go watch him. But if, you've, but if Satan has got his hand around your neck with financial burdens and a noose of debt, it's very difficult to have the freedom to talk to your neighbors about freedom in Jesus. Does that make sense? It's tough to get sold out about going on the mission field or, man, I'd love to go plant that church. I'd love to be a part of that Lincoln planting. But I can't because I've got this truck payment. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm a slave to my work. I got to work. Does that make sense? Or maybe it's, Jeff, I... I I just don't give. I, don't, I haven't thought about it since COVID. Why? It's my money. I do what I want. Don't ask me. Thank you. And money can be a place that's off limits for God and for each other. But that's, that's as foolish as men saying, or, or women for that matter, saying, yeah, I don't really talk about purity. We're not going to talk about pornography. We're not going to talk about temptation. 
I'm going, I think these are two of the biggest weapons in Satan's hands, especially when we are the richest Christians that have ever existed. And I think Satan is happy to use that weapon, especially if you'll keep it secret. Does that make sense? We lived in Brazil for the last two and a half years. Like, oh, you must have been transformed seeing all this thing. In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. We still, I think everyone wrestles with, I want what I want. How many, no one was asking me about our money. I could have been given contribution. I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, what, the point of which is what I'm saying is that I look, at, I look at Judas and one of the things that scares me is that guys, sometimes because no one's forcing their way into our lives, we can have these massive secrets and what they become is almost like a cancer for our faith. Well, we just haven't gone to the doctor for very long. But I want to encourage you that I, this is a weapon that Satan, might, it's not that he might use it. I think he is using it against all of us right now. And the good news is, is not, is not that, oh man, we've got no defense. No, we absolutely do. And I don't mean just the contentment of Jesus. I mean, we've got each other. We can talk. If you're like, Jeff, I am drowning in debt. I've got parts of my life. I've never talked with anyone. Come talk to us. We'll help you the way we were helped. We've got so many great people that can help. And you go, oh, there's so many scriptures on debt. That, that The point though, is that we want you free, not kind of free, but God's like, he wants you all the way free. And there's something about money that will master you if you don't let Jesus master it. And I bet you felt that slavery. I know I have. And you do not have to. Jesus was sold out and Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. When Jesus was out and before the ministry began in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is taken out to the desert and he's facing off with Satan Satan takes him to the highest mountain, shows him all the kingdoms. Remember that verse? And says, all you got to do, just bow down to me just this one time. There's no cross with me. You can have all the kingdoms. Satan is offering you and me far less. 30 pieces of silver? That's not retirement. You can barely take vacation on that. He's offering us pennies, Nothing. And sometimes the best thing that we need to do is step back, get in the scriptures and talk to one another and get better perspective. Because he is not, man, the offer from Satan is terrible. And it might destroy our soul, but it'll certainly destroy our freedom and destroy our joy. And I want to encourage us. I look at Judas. It's hard not to look at Peter and Judas side by side, right? These two betrayers, these two absolute failures, left Jesus, both rebuked. Jesus, Judas leaves, commits suicide. He won't even go back and face Jesus. Judas will come back and repent. And I want to encourage us all this morning. I don't know where you're at, friends. But man, could you imagine if Judas would have repented and what the book of Acts might have looked like? Can you imagine the people that might have been helped? The kings that might have repented from their greed? I, I just think about the impact. But I think there's so many lessons that we learn from Judas about how to reflect on Jesus and to reflect him in our world. Let's have a phenomenal relationship with his message. I want to encourage you, go back, read your Bible. Make a decision. Start reading 15 minutes every day. Get back. If you've been out of that groove, do it. But don't just read it. Make a decision every day. I'm going to do something with what I'm reading. I'm going to share it with what I'm reading. And even if it's something as difficult as money, that we talk to each other and get the help because we don't want to just be around Jesus. We want to reflect him and be with him for eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience.